name I pray. Amen. Church family, let me invite you to take God's Word and join me once again in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verses 23 to 26 is our text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 26. If you were with us last Sunday, maybe just let me briefly recap for those who were. Maybe if also you were not, we were in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 5. As Jesus begins this section of His sermon where He is going to make sure that His hearers understand not only what the letter of God's law says, but also what God always intended at the very heart of the law. So verse 21, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, and then we talked about the reality that at the heart of murder, actually literally physically taking someone's life is an anger toward that person or a contempt in word or deed toward that person. That the heart of what it means to hate somebody to the point where you would no longer wish them to even be around is an anger and a contempt for them. And we saw the severe punishment That that anger, that that contempt brings ending there in verse 22 with saying, our contemptible attitude and words toward people renders us guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So, as we seek to build on that from last week, now moving into verses 23 to 26, I want us to think about this. If anger and contempt toward other people, if it be serious enough to render someone guilty enough to go into the fiery hell, then how do we avoid being angry with others and treating them with contempt? That's how this morning's text meshes with what we saw together last week. If anger and contempt be as serious as the actual act of murder, then how do we avoid? How do we fight against? How do we put to death anger and contempt toward other people in us? And I believe the answer to that question is this, develop the discipline of reconciling quickly with others. This is the whole point of the text before us this morning. Develop the discipline of reconciling quickly with others with whom you have some sort of dispute. The text is clear. Look at it with me, starting in verse 23. Therefore, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last 
sense. The Lord Jesus Christ intends, I think so clearly, in verses 23 to 26, the Lord Jesus intends that we, His people, be serious about the work of reconciling fractured relationships with others. Because as we'll see at the end, the work of the very Gospel is that it does what, beloved? It reconciles the broken and fractured relationship that exists between God and His people. If we are in Christ, then we must be those who pursue peace and reconciliation with others. You remember back up in the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What is it? What is one of the things, at least, that defines those who are the people of God? We are those who make for peace. If we are in Christ, we must understand this morning that the pursuing of reconciliation with others, it mirrors the work of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And that pursuing reconciliation with one another, particularly in the life of the church, it is the way that we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. It's a weighty text. There are weighty implications. Necessary applications for us this morning. So I want us to see three reasons. Three reasons why reconciliation with others is not just a good idea. Not just a good suggestion. But three reasons why reconciliation with others is necessary. The first one comes to us in verses 23 and 24, and it's this. Reconciliation with others is necessary because without it, without being reconciled to others, our worship is not acceptable to God. Why? Why the big deal? Why reconciliation? Because without it, Our worship is not acceptable to God. Look in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, and that therefore, remember, it's pointing you back to what you just saw in verses 21 and 22. That whole deal about don't murder, don't be angry, don't treat people with contempt. In light of all of that, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Jesus is going to give two examples, two illustrations here, to drive home the necessity of reconciliation. And this first example comes to us in verses 23 and 24, and it's in the context of two believers who are at odds with one another. And one of them goes to present the offering at the altar. Now when Jesus uses that language at the beginning of verse 23, that is language that His original hearers would have been very familiar with. Now for centuries, throughout the life of the Jewish people, they have done what? They have taken their sacrifices, and they have gone to the temple, 
And there before the altar, they would present this sacrifice. Maybe most notably would be the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. When sacrifices are made for the sins of the people. And they come and at various times throughout the year for various reasons and occasions. They bring these offerings to present them there, to have them slain, to have them poured out, to have them given to the Lord in an act of worship, in an act of obedience, in an act of repentance. And Jesus takes that moment and draws their hearts into that moment and says to them, if... Therefore, you go to present your offering at the altar, and in the process of doing so, you remember something. You go to present that offering for whatever reason you're presenting the offering, but but in that process, it hits your mind. Oh man, That, that conversation with that other brother, that other sister, that other Christian, that other believer, that other child of God, that that conversation didn't go well. It didn't end well. We didn't draw that to conclusion. Or you remember in that moment that that other person, for whatever reason, has something against you. What does that mean that in the process of going to present your offering, you remember that somebody... Some man, some woman, some other person, they have something against you. I think the reasons for this could be many. It could be many. But another believer, another member of the body of Christ, they have something against you. There is something that has happened. And you almost get the sense of that there is an, an, an unpaid line in the ledger that has not been dealt with. They've been offended in some way and your relationship with them is just not, just not quite right. There's some sort of rift. There's some sort of break. There's some sort of strain. There's some sort of maybe separation that has taken place in that relationship. It could be something as innocent as just a misunderstanding. This happens, right? Happens often. Something didn't get communicated right or well or at all. And just a misunderstanding arises between people. And it just causes a little bit of an edge to that relationship. Causes it to be just off. A little bit. It could be something though as severe as you have actually sinned against that person in some way. Maybe a disagreement of some sort has arisen. You're just not seeing eye to eye on some things. And as a result, there's just a bit of a tension now that exists in that relationship. You know how this works, by the way. A little disagreement arises, and all of a sudden you're just you're not on speaking terms with the person anymore. Previously things were fine, and now this disagreement arises, and you're just not on speaking terms. And you also know how this works. You then begin to do this really awkward dance, right, where you try to avoid each other. You kind of see them coming, maybe, and you just kind of hide behind the, the something, right, to, to get out of the way. 
You see them in the grocery store and don't act like you haven't done it. You see them in the grocery store and you just go down the other aisle because you don't want to face that. We do that. And all the while, what's taking place in that moment is a deepening of disunity. And so then, the Lord calls to mind moments like this in verse 23. And says, if you go to present your offering and you remember that your brother, your sister, your fellow believer, that they have something against you. Listen, it it may be that the person is offended for really for absolutely no reason at all. We do this too. We just get offended at things for really no good reason. And maybe what then needs to take place is just a clearing of the air. Maybe you've done something that has caused them to stumble in their Christian walk in some way. Again, the reasons are many. And if you notice in verse 23, Jesus doesn't even really get specific about the reasons. You know why? Because the reasons don't even really matter. He doesn't qualify that in any way. He doesn't say, if you remember that your brother has something against you, but they're being ridiculous and you really didn't do anything, don't worry about it. It's not what he says, is it? If you're remembering in that moment, and then he gives a prescription for what we are to do in verse 24. What matters most, even more than the issue, is that there is another believer out there that has something against you. And I want you to notice carefully the language there in verse 23. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, if you go to present your offering and you remember that you have something against someone else. It's a slight difference, but but I think important. It says, if you remember that someone has something against you. We very easily remember when someone offends us. We very easily remember when we're sinned against. We very easily remember when we have something against someone else. Beloved, let's be just as sensitive, if not more so, to another person having something against me. Let's not brush it off with, oh, they're just sensitive. Let's not brush it off with, oh, that's just how they are. They get offended about everything. And maybe they do. But the great point in verse 23 is remembering that that person, that there is something not right in my fellowship with them. That there is some kind of, maybe a slight rift, maybe a significant break in relationship. And there is a call that follows here in verse 24 to deal with this. So look at the text Again, verse 23, if you remember these things, verse 24, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, look, obviously for us, you didn't bring in a lamb this morning to sacrifice, all right? You didn't bring in two doves or two pigeons to sacrifice, and I'm really thankful for that, all right? We don't do those things because Christ, right? Christ has paid the one time for all sacrifice for us. So how does this translate into our context? 
Maybe in our context, it would read something like this. If you come to the worship service and there remember. If you go to sing and there remember. If you go to pray or open up God's Word and there remember that someone has something against you. And then the prescription in verse 24 is ours as well. John Stott said this, if you're in church in the middle of a service of worship and you suddenly remember that your brother has a grievance against you, leave church at once and put it right. Do not wait till the service is ended. Seek out your brother and ask his forgiveness. First go, then come. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your worship to God. Notice the prescription in verse 24. Leave the offering there. And we may think that the sound of, the sound of like going to church and like getting out of the car and walking through that heat and getting in the door and getting situated and they're remembering that somebody's got something against me and now I'm supposed to leave and go deal with that? that can we just do that later? Can we just deal with that after church? And look, there might be some scenarios where, yes, for whatever reason, you need to wait. The point here is of immediacy, right? Do this quickly. Do this even now, if possible. Leave the offering at the altar and notice the verb, go. Go. And where do you go? You go to your brother. You go to them. I, I would even say to us, beware of trying to deal with these things via text. Beware of trying to deal with these things over the phone. Now look, the person may be a thousand miles away and the phone is the best you can do. If, that, if that's what you have to do, then do that. But notice the language of verse 24. It's what? It's leave everything and go to that brother. Don't text. It's not helpful. We text for, hey, what do you want for dinner? Not, hey, me and you have a problem that we got to reconcile. Go to them. Don't make a passive-aggressive Facebook post about sensitive people. Don't do that. Leave everything and go to them. Have the conversation. Make it right. Why? Because I think what's implied in verse 24 is that without doing so, and in having an unreconciled relationship, our worship is not acceptable to God. Your worship to God, proceeding from a heart of anger, proceeding from a heart of contempt, proceeding from a place of unreconciled relationship with others, it will not be and it cannot be pleasing to the Lord. Furthermore, church, your heart is not even free to worship God if it is held captive by unreconciled relationships with another person. We cannot lift our hands and our voices 
and our hearts in worship to a holy God who, as we'll think about at the end of the service, has sent His Son to reconcile us to Himself. We cannot think that we are in a place to worship God if we are bound up in an unreconciled relationship with somebody else. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, in the sight of God, there is no value whatsoever in an act of worship if we harbor a known sin. You cannot be right with God until you put yourself right with man. How many times in the prophets, in the Psalms, does God say to His people, I hate your sacrifices because you do them from impure motives and impure hearts. They're not pleasing to me, God says. Don't do them anymore, God says, if you're not going to walk in holiness and obey me. So church, I think it's worth asking ourselves in this moment. Has my worship, has it been cold or stale lately? And if in your heart, you would discern that the answer to that question is yes, I would then also ask you to ask yourself this question. Do I have any unreconciled relationships with people? Because an unreconciled relationship will absolutely stifle your worship before a holy God. And so, verse 24 again, leave your offering and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Hey, church, you Christian, you dear saint, take the initiative. Go. Leave it all and go. Talk to this person. Confess sin. Ask for forgiveness. Clear the air. Do the hard work of chiseling away at whatever wall has been erected between you and that other person. Remembering passages like Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Remembering passages like Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And listen, here's the reality. The reality is, sometimes you'll be presenting your offering at the altar, you will remember, you will leave your offering at the altar, and you will go to pursue and seek out reconciliation. And sometimes, that other person, at least in that moment, will not be able, they will not be willing to reconcile with you. What does that mean for you? Does it mean you can't sing anymore? You can't pray anymore? You can't open up God's Word anymore? You can't come to church anymore until that gets squared away? No, it doesn't mean that. Remember what Paul's saying in Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you do your part, right? You obey and honor the Lord. You pursue. You seek. You go. If they will not have it, you are free. You're free to worship. You're free to serve. You're free to honor the Lord in your life. So do your part. As much as it depends on you. Church family, nothing destroys a church family. Nothing destroys the body of Christ. Nothing destroys our fellowship. 
Nothing destroys our unity more than unreconciled relationships. Don't let unreconciled relationships, don't let them fester. Unreconciled relationships will ultimately bring ruin. It'll bring ruin to your marriage. It'll bring ruin to your relationship with your kids. It'll bring ruin to even the healthiest of local churches. Is there anyone with whom you need to clear the air or reconcile a severed relationship? It's better to not sing the song. Better to not receive the Lord's Supper. Go, be reconciled. Better to do that than to try to offer unto God worship which He will not accept anyway. Secondly, why is reconciling with other people so necessary? Secondly, because without reconciliation, severe punishment awaits. Without reconciliation, severe punishment awaits. Verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Here, now verses 25 and 26, the scene shifts. Jesus uses a a second example or illustration to show the necessity of reconciliation. That, that first example, verses 23 and 24, it involves a rift in a relationship with another believer. Verse 25, the scene shifts just a bit, and now it involves the relationship between one who is a Christian and one who is not. And the issue specifically in verses 25 and 26 is of a courtroom setting due to what appears to be an unpaid financial debt. Lest we think that we only have to do the work of reconciliation with people inside the church and the lost and dying world out there, we don't We can just kind of live however we want to live in relationship to them. Jesus is making clear in verses 25 and 26 that we, His people, are to be the aroma of reconciliation in all of our relationships. So He says in verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponents at law. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait for the perfect moment. You know why? Because that perfect moment's never coming. We'll always find a way to avoid that perfect moment. Life and just stuff will happen. And that moment will never come to pass. So make friends quickly. Go to this person. Reconcile. And specifically in verse 25, he mentions an opponent at law. It's a legal matter. It's arisen between you and another, and in this instance, because of an unpaid financial obligation. Now, this person, because the debt has not been paid, maybe they feel like they've exhausted every effort. They have no other recourse but to now take you into court. When Luke records this in Luke chapter 12, verse 58, he says it this way, For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way there, 
make an effort to settle with him in order that he may not drag you before the judge. The context of both Matthew and Luke in this shows that reconciliation needs to be pursued all the way up to the courtroom door. Make every effort to reconcile quickly these relationships. You would rather make a settlement. You would rather reconcile outside the door of the courtroom than to have to go inside the door and stand before the judge. Verse 25, be handed over to the officer and you be thrown into prison when we do not reconcile. Even with those outside the church, And again, if possible, sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes they won't have it. But when we do not reconcile with one another, even outside the church, it's a poor testimony. It's a poor testimony of the way that God reconciles His people to Himself through Christ. This is why, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul instructs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that believers are not to drag one another into court. Because it gives a poor testimony of the Gospel. And so, just to drive home the seriousness of it all, Jesus in verse 26 says this, Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there. You will not leave prison until you have paid up The last cent. That you will not come out. That's emphatic in the Greek. You will never come out. There is no chance that you will come out of prison until you have paid down to the very last cent. Reconcile the relationship. Do it outside the courtroom door. You don't want a judge to do it inside. Again, the emphasis here is on an immediate reconciling no matter the issue. Beloved, remember that when you have a rift in your relationship with an unbeliever, someone outside the church, the way that you go to them and reconcile with them will evidence something about the beauty of the Gospel to them. So go. Heeding this warning at the end of verse 26, you're not coming out until you've paid up the last cent. You know, not only does that point to a severe punishment that comes through an earthly legal system, but what about a person who lives in constant anger? Constant contempt toward others. They never seek to reconcile broken relationships. What is that evidence about them? It evidences that they have not been reconciled to God. They don't know the Gospel And a severe but just punishment awaits them. This is severe, Jesus says. It's necessary for a person to live in just a boiling, seething, constant, unrepentant anger, hatred, unreconciled relationships with everybody around them. That evidence is they know nothing of the sweetness of God's reconciling grace. And a severe punishment awaits. But then thirdly, finally, why? Why? Why all this attention to reconciling fractured relationships? Here's the third reason why it's necessary. 
We've alluded to it a couple of times up to this point. But the third reason is this. It's because God has reconciled our broken relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we are those who know of the sweetness of that reconciling grace, then we will be those who move toward others in reconciliation. In just a moment, we'll come to the Lord's Supper table and we'll remember the body and the blood of the Lord. And we'll remember why the cross was necessary. And what we'll remember in that moment is that our sin, our rebellion against God, it severed our relationship with Him. It broke it. And there was absolutely nothing that we could do to fix that. There was no work. There was no record of good. Nothing that we could do to reconcile that relationship. Our sin has made us God's opponent at law. We broke His law. We are at odds with Him. We are enemies of God, Scripture tells us. However, what does God do, church? He takes the initiative, doesn't He? And I praise God for this because Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's not a single thing that we as dead people can do to go to God and make this relationship right. So what does God do? God takes the initiative. God comes to you, dear saints. By the gift of faith, He awakens you and gives you the ability to understand, to believe, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We cannot then hold back reconciliation from others if we say that we ourselves have been reconciled to God. Just end with a couple of passages. Turn to Romans 5. Romans 5. These verses will sound familiar to some of you. Romans 5, starting in verse 8. Listen to what it says here about the reconciling work of God. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet Sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read this last week at the beginning of our service. Look down to verse 17 with me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation with others is necessary because God has first reconciled our broken relationship with him. So Christian, with whom might you possibly need to go have a conversation with and knock the edge off of that relationship? Lost person, do you hear the Word of God this morning? Do you hear that if you are not in Christ, you are in sin still and therefore enemies of God? But do you also hear, lost person today, that God is offering the sweetness of grace in His Son, Jesus Christ? And if you would but call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be reconciled to God. You would be right with God. There would be fellowship and sweetness of communion with God. You must come to Christ this day. Christian, last thing I would say, and then we'll close. Christian, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Never forget that you've been entrusted with that. Therefore, maybe you take inventory this morning and you say, I don't, praise God, I don't have any fractured relationships right now. If that's the case, praise the Lord. But that does not mean there is nothing to do. You and I have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, go and plead with others on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So, No matter where you are this morning, there's application to put into place for us. And most certainly as we prepare to come before the Lord's Supper table this morning, let's pray. Asking the Lord to search our hearts. Make us obedient in these areas to do what He has called us to do in this text together. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, with Your Word planted in the soil of our hearts. God, help us to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in this moment. Father, help us to be sensitive to how You are moving and working in our hearts, calling us to respond to Your Word. Every single one of us have been confronted with the necessity of reconciliation. So Father, I pray, God, that we would put this text into practice. God, being doers of Your Word. God, in just a moment, we will hold in our hands that which reminds us of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God, we will take into our hands that which reminds us of our sin. That reminds us of grace and mercy and forgiveness in Christ. God, this moment before us reminds us that our sin had made a separation between us and You, our God. But Christ. Christ has come Lived, died, rose again, so that we might be reconciled to you. So, God, help us to be a people of reconciliation. Help us to see its necessity. Father, I pray for the one in the room that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. God, show them so clearly their state. Help them not to rely on facts that they know about the Bible. Help them not to rely on a past experience. But God, show them so clearly that their faith does not yet rest in Christ alone. But God, show them the beauty of the Gospel and the reconciling work of the cross of Christ. Draw them, O God. Help them to call out upon the name of the Lord to be saved. God, what a sweet time is now before us. God, help us worship You to do these things in remembrance of Christ. It's in His name that we pray it. Amen. Beloved, as our men begin to come forward,